We want to welcome now all those folks who are who will be joining us on the sermon podcast portion of our worship. Um, we are live streaming this, and we are glad that you are here with us this day um, as we enter into an experience of God's word for us. Please join me in prayer. God, we come seeking a word that will lead us to life. Open our hearts so that in that hearing of your word, we might come to life in you. Amen. Our scripture reading today is in two parts. The reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 26, and I'll be reading through verse 15. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jewish man, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For at that time, Jewish people did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. We continue the reading in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship God neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jewish people. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. For God seeks such to worship, to worship God. God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When they come, they will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Please pray with me. 
Holy God, by your miraculous love, we gather here in this moment, even though we are not in the same room. By that same miraculous love, may your word come to life in us. Amen. So our Lenten theme this year is In the Desert, a Healing Spring. When we came up with that theme way back in January, we had no idea. No idea that just six weeks later, when we moved into Lent, we would be encountering so many desert places. We had no idea of all the ways right now that we would be searching so earnestly with all our hearts for a healing spring, longing for healing in so many ways. Healing for our bodies, healing for our troubled and worried spirits, healing for our world. What better way to think about all that this morning than with this scripture with two people, Jesus and the Samaritan woman, who encounter each other in the desert at a well, at a spring, in the desert, a healing spring. Let's bring bring all our desert places into theirs and see how they approach each other and what they can make of their world. Let's, Let's look with them for some living water for us and for the world today. Now, the first thing to notice is that this really is a desert scene, literally. Jesus and the Samaritan woman encounter each other at a well in a desert world in the middle of the day, high noon, the sun is blazing hot, and they're likely bone-weary. Jesus, from his travels, and the woman from lugging a big clay jar down from her home in the village to the community well in the heat of the desert, They've both come for some life-sustaining water. There's another type of desert at work here, too. You see, Jesus and this woman, the Samaritan woman, live in a world of separation. They live in a world that is structured to keep them apart. Two people separated by categories of gender and nationality and religion. Jesus is Jewish and a man, And the Samaritan woman is obviously a Samaritan and a woman. The Jewish leaders and people of the time generally view the Samaritans as apostate and unclean. They've chosen the wrong way to worship God on a hill in Samaria rather than a hill in Judea. And so the Jewish people of Jesus' day have nothing to do with the Samaritan people. And the Samaritan people return the favor. Add to that... Jesus and the woman have different genders in a world that is shaped by patriarchy, where it's scandalous in this context for a man to deign to speak to a woman. And even so, even so, here they are. Jesus and the Samaritan woman together on their own. Here in this desert of barriers and boundaries, we have this long glimpse of the two of them together. You know, this is, this is one of the longest conversations that Jesus has with anyone in the Bible. It's just Jesus and the Samaritan woman and us. And look at what they do. Jesus is traveling through Samaria. He is exhausted, and so he rests at this well as his disciples go off to find some food. It's just Jesus sitting there, tired out, In the heat of the noonday sun, and along comes this woman, also alone, coming to the well at the hottest time of the day. Now, Jesus knows the rules. He knows who he is, and he knows who she is. He knows the barriers and the boundaries and the prohibitions that should keep them apart. 
And Jesus ignores all that. He doesn't just ignore those boundaries. He smashes through them. Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman. He engages her in conversation. He takes her life seriously. And he offers her the gift of living water on the very same basis that he would offer it to someone who was Jewish or who was male, on the same basis that he offers this living water to everyone. Here, at the very start of the Gospel of John, Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman and announces and lives out a new, expansive, and inclusive order. We're not going to play this in and out game anymore. No more talk of clean and unclean, of anyone somehow being less than. Jesus says, everyone, everyone who drinks this living water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give to everyone will become in them a spring of water leading to eternal life. Now, usually, usually we just stop there and celebrate, and we give Jesus all the credit. And you know I'm all about that. If you've ever heard me preach, you know I'm all about how Jesus welcomes everybody. That is good news. Jesus approaches the woman and welcomes her. And I am just as interested in how the woman approaches Jesus and welcomes him. Because in some ways, it's easier for Jesus. He's the one here with all the power and the privilege. Jesus knows the boundaries that give him privilege, and he can set them aside. It's not so easy for her. She doesn't have the luxury of that choice. She doesn't get to wake up in the world and say, oh, today I'm not going to live in a patriarchal world. What does it mean for her? What does it mean for her in their world of separation to encounter this other who holds all the power and all the privilege? What does she do, have, do here? The Samaritan woman arrives at that well in the heat of the day when she expects that no one will be there, but there's this man, a non-Samaritan man, a Jewish man, so she slows down her pace a little bit out of caution. She takes in the situation and she moves carefully to the well. And she goes about her work of of drawing the water up and then the man speaks and he says, give me a drink of water. And look at what the first thing that the woman says. She names the power differential. She speaks plainly about what's going on. Sir, you are a Jewish man. How can you ask me, a Samaritan and a woman, for a drink? I thought y'all didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. She does the power analysis for both of them, and she says it plain. You have the power and the privilege. Your people have nothing to do with us. You treat us as unclean, and yet you ask me for a drink of water. Before we start talking, let's get all that clear. And then Jesus names it too. Jesus says, go get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right, you've had five husbands. Now for centuries, for centuries, that little exchange has been used to claim that this Samaritan woman somehow is a loose woman, somehow sinful in those marriages. And the problem with that reading, and it's been the dominant male reading of this text, is that it's not anywhere in the Bible. This text doesn't support that reading at all. You know, we've talked about this before. Whenever we're talking about marriage in the Bible, we are talking about what was then a property transaction. 
Marriage in the ancient world was about property. The woman was included in the man's property, and she was the main vehicle for transferring a man's property from generation to generation. So when Jesus says, go get your husband, and the Samaritan woman says, I have no husband, she's really saying, no man owns me. If you want to talk to me or about me, you talk to me. Together, they are naming the power and privilege at work in the world. They are naming all the things that separate them. Then and only then, after being honest about all that, can they choose a better way. They name all the things that separate them, and then they move towards each other anyway. Now, we know the things that separate us in our world, particularly those that are based on power and privilege. We're talking about that in our ongoing reparations work. We're working hard to say true things about how racism is at work in the world, about how those of us who are white participate in and benefit from systems of racism, about the systems and the structures that need to be dismantled. That is our ongoing work, our ongoing life's work. And we also find ourselves now confronted with what feels to some of us like a new kind of separation. This, this physical separation that's thrust upon us as we engage together in this social distancing to slow the COVID-19 epidemic. That's true right in this moment, and we should name it. It's a part of our desert place all around the world, all around the world communities that usually thrive by gathering in the presence of each other. We can't all be in the, same re in the same room. And it's for our common good in one way. It is the right thing to do. And in another way, it's a painful separation. Faith communities have postponed in-person worship. Schools are closing. People are working remotely. And then there's this other thing that's also true. The epidemic has made it in, in clear in ways that were true, but we haven't fully acknowledged before that for better or for worse, we are in this together. The health of the Bay Area community is connected to the health of the New York City community and the Alabama community and communities all around the world. We, we are in this together in the sense that this is a pandemic moving through the whole world. And we are in this together in the sense that concerted action is essential. The only way, the only way we can try to slow down this disease is, is to do this social separation as the medical community builds the capacity to respond. We are working together for the common good, for the common health. We've got to name those realities, but, but we don't stop there. You see, Jesus and the Samaritan woman name the realities that keep folks separate in their world, and then look what they do. They then create entirely new ways to be in relationship. In a world that says that they shouldn't even speak to one another, they choose to enter into this amazing conversation of mutuality. We see this clever, engaging banter between the two of them person to person. Jesus says, give me some water. The woman says, wait, your people say that I'm unclean and you ask me for a drink? Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. And she says, um, you have no bucket and the well is deep. 
Jesus says, whoever drinks the water I will give will never thirst. And she says, well, then give me some of that water so I don't have to lug these buckets of water back and forth. They enter into this this conversation, this relationship of mutuality. And you know what? I think Jesus actually enjoys it. And you don't see that much in the Bible. Jesus actually enjoying a conversation. He's usually surrounded by his disciples and just frustrated because they aren't getting anything. but, But he just enjoys sitting there with her and talking. And through this conversation, the woman is the first person to whom Jesus says, I am the Christ. And she becomes the first person to then go and share that good news with the world. In their their world of separation, they are creating entirely new ways of being in relationship, entirely new ways of being free and together. We're doing that right here, right now. Now, to be sure, this is not the first time anyone in the world has ever streamed a worship service. But it's new for us and for many communities across the nation this morning. Uh, By Thursday, it had become clear that for the well-being of our community and the world, we need to stop meeting in person. And with that decision, we then had to deal with the question, how do we worship? In three days, we had to figure that out. How does a congregation congregate and worship without being in the same room? And here, here we are. We're going to need to keep doing that. The deacons are already on the job contacting their deacon flocks by phone. All of our meetings are going to be by phone or video conference. And on Thursday, we'll be launching a video conference so that every week we can all check in. And you want to know what? I'm not 100% sure how that will work, but we'll figure that out Tuesday and we'll make it work on Thursday. And that's just this week. We're also going to need to figure out how to create new ways to serve in the world. How will homebound folks get food? How will we be present to each other in a sustained way in times of quarantine? How will we continue to participate in the feeding and shelter of those living outside? How will we continue our reparations work now? Now, Raquel Nelson is working on that right now. So later in the week, you can expect to see some homework. How will we continue our work for justice? Our work for the dignity and well-being of all people in a world where the need for activism has never been more clear. Communities are doing this all across the Bay Area and our nation and the world. How will we continue to live all of life, everything that God has created us to be and to do in the world and for each other? As Jesus and this Samaritan woman create this new way of being in relationship, they become for each other living water. Now, of course, that's true in the God sense. In Jesus Christ, God comes with an embodied word of healing and of life. Jesus, the word made flesh who brings living water that springs forth to eternal life, a healing spring for every desert place. And it's also true in a very human sense. Jesus, fully human, sits with this woman, also fully human, offers her living water, and then she gets up and lowers her bucket down into the well 
and brings the jar of water back and offers Jesus a cup and gives him living water too. Together, human to human, they become for each other living water. Last week, last week we reclaimed John 3.16 as a message a message of God's love for the whole world, for God so loved the world. From last Sunday to this Sunday and in all the life that we have lived in between, here is what we know. God loves the whole world and God loves you. God has loved you from the beginning of time, from before you were born, and God will love you and the whole world on out into forever. And God's created us. God has created us to embody that love to and with and for each other in a world of borders and barriers and boundaries to create with each other entirely new ways of living in relationship, to be for each other streams of living water for all the world's parched places. That That is what we will need to do in the coming weeks in ways we haven't yet imagined but in ways that we will imagine, in ways that we will create, and in ways that we will birth together. In a world fraught with power and privilege and barriers and boundaries where people live in deep division, in a world of separation and isolation, in a world not unlike our own, Jesus and the Samaritan woman meet at this desert well in the noontime heat, and they talk, and they say true things, and they laugh, and they encounter each other truly and deeply. They create together entirely new ways of living in relationship, and they share cool sips of water on a dry, dusty day. In their encounter, they give each other life. In their encounter, They are for each other a healing spring. 